I saw the movie Jaws many years ago as a kid, and since then, the story has stuck in my head, despite the data telling me otherwise that it's probably very safe to swim in the sea. I'm more likely to be killed by a jellyfish than I am by a shark, especially a great white shark. However, it doesn't matter what you say, I'm still like a little bit scared every time I go out there, especially when I'm swimming triathlon, that um, there's something moving down there. It could have been a plastic bag, but to me, it looked kind of a bit like a fin or maybe a shark. So that's the power and the persistence of story. That similarly, when I moved to Japan in the, the mid-90s as an English teacher, part of teaching English to Japanese students was that you would introduce them to the English-speaking world. So when they found out how I was from London, one of the first things they would talk about is fog, London fog. And there was even a clothing company in Japan called London Fog. And I, I'm like, I didn't understand what they were talking about. What do you mean by London Fog? Oh, they, they say that London's very foggy. And what they were trying to tell me was about the smog, you know, that, that sort of lethal smoke-fog combination that London was famous for over a hundred years ago before they implemented the Clean Air Act. However, despite that reality being, you know, a, a distant history, people still believed that it was true. And I'd lived in London for more than 10 years. And on, I can count on my hands the number of times I had actually, you know, encountered fog, especially on the River Thames. So, you know, so thick, I couldn't see, you know, in, in front of my, far enough in front of my face. But that's the power of story. You know, as a kid, I believed, I remember being, I don't know, I was in primary school, maybe eight or nine years old. And I believed because my parents and teachers and older kids would tell me that if you made a funny face and the wind changed direction, your face would stay like that. I believed it. And I was a smart kid. I knew about the planets and the sun. I knew that the earth went around the sun and I knew of space and I knew physics. However, I still believed in this weird story. And you can imagine that parents and my mom and dad would have told me that to stop me pulling funny faces. And it worked until one day I was just thinking about it and I thought, hey, that can't be true. And the story vanished. The story disappeared. I'd never met somebody whose face was stuck in that sort of like weird face they were pulling smirk at their parents because the wind changed direction. But I believed. Fortune cookies, you know those little cookies you get when you get go to a Chinese restaurant? Well, not in China, but outside, especially in the United States, actually don't come from China at all. They were invented in Japan and introduced to the US by the Japanese. If you go anywhere in China, especially mainland China, you won't see fortune cookies. A lot of Chinese think that they are symbols of American cuisine. Haagen-Dazs, that ice cream brand, when you ask people, where does Haagen-Dazs come from? Some people say, sounds Swedish. Is it German, Danish? It's kind of up there, isn't it? It's kind of like somewhere cold North Europe where they make good ice cream. Fact is, like, Haagen-Dazs doesn't come from Europe. 
It's not Swedish or it's not German or it's not Danish, even though most people think it's a Danish word. It's not even a word. Hagen Dahls doesn't mean anything and it's nothing to do with the names of the founders. Hagen Dahls was invented by two Jews in Brooklyn. Nothing to do with Europe. And the reason they picked Denmark, interestingly, was because of Denmark's role in the Second World War is one of the few countries that refused to hand over the Jews to the occupying German population. See, our world is full of stories that persist despite the data. And as strange as they seem, they give us a very interesting insight into the power of story and data. Because we're all out there talking about data, big data, data analytics, data visualization. And yet, it's not the data that persists and it's not the data we absorb. It's the story. Vikings never had horns. There's no evidence at all that they had horns on their helmets. And yet, every modern depiction of Vikings shows them with those funny horns in their helmets. If you watch The Last Kingdom on Netflix, it's probably quite accurate in their depiction of the Danes invading old England. None of them had horned helmets. The Great Wall of China was thought to be visible from space. You know, that is a story that has persisted for the best part of a hundred years. That when you ask people, what is the only man-made object that you can see from outer space? People will say the Great Wall of China. And yet, the truth is, the data is that you can't see the Great Wall of China from outer space. Astronauts have been up there and looked down. Even Chinese astronauts have been up there and looked down. And they said they couldn't see the Great Wall of China from outer space. What they could see, however, were vapor trails and railroads and train tracks and ports. They couldn't see the wall. In fact, a lot of the wall actually lies under sand or in dust or in ruins. The story of the Great Wall of China comes from a story told long before mankind could even fly into space. It came from a magazine called Ripley's Believe It or Not, which some 30, 40 years maybe before the Apollo program hypothesized what was the only man-made object we could see from outer space. And they, they hypothesized that it was the Great Wall of China and it stuck in the memories of school kids for a hundred years. We don't like uncertainty. That's why we gravitate towards story. And that's why the best leaders can use data and turn it into story because the stories that they tell persist long before the data and the the truth of the data is only held in the story we use to frame it. For example, if I asked you how many senses do human beings have? Almost everybody, and myself included, until I learnt otherwise, would say five, sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing. Now, these were identified by Aristotle some 2,000 years ago. And yet, human beings have what scientists 
believed to be more than 20 senses. For example, the sense of balance, the sense of acceleration. We've even got them in the iPhones, the sense of pain, the sense of relative temperature, even the sense of having a full stomach or blood CO2 levels. These are all internal thermometers, internal measures that our body has, and sight and smell are just one of them. The reason why our idea of five senses persists is because it gives us a very whole and definite understanding of the world. If I said to you there were 20 senses, that your body is reading more than 20 different measures, dashboard, barometers, gauges about your individual stasis, then that may be a little bit unsettling for you, that you've grown up for all your life believing you had these five senses and now there's these other ones. Are you some sort of Spider-Man type, you know, Marvel superhero or some weird freak mutant now that has these special senses? No, that's just human beings. We don't like that. We don't like that uncertainty. And that's why stories persist, because when the data challenges a story, the story will often persist over the data. Look at how that's abused by politicians. And yet, at the same time, it can also be used to create change. Think, for example, at how we think about artificial intelligence or the brain or the computer, for example, and how these analogies are often intertwined. When I started university in my course in artificial intelligence, the the core foundation was computational psychology, which was all about modeling the brain on the computer. And in many respects, the brain and the computer were similar analogies. We understood them through each other. So the computer had a central processing unit and it had memory, just like the brain had memory and to some degree, some kind of centralized processing. Now, the problem with that model is it's actually not true. That now that we have a better understanding of the brain, we know that it doesn't really behave like a computer. You know, the idea that the computer operates as binary zeros and ones like these logic gates doesn't apply to the human brain. The human brain isn't a series of zeros and ones, logic gates. The the human brain is actually lots of maybes, which again creates this uncertainty, this unsettling unknown about our existence and our reality, which forces people then to shut down and ignore the reality. I don't like that. I don't like the unknown. I'll gravitate away from the data back to the story which is familiar. According to LCB data, you're more likely to be killed by deer than a shark in the US. And you're 20 times more likely to be killed by a cow. Cows aren't that scary. You know, I I don't get scared. You know, people feed cows sugar lumps. Like, these are not the stuff of nightmares or killer animal, you know, shark attacks, cow attacks movies. You know, sharks kill 66 humans globally every year, yet humans kill 100 
million sharks. Why? Story, not data. If you look at the shark, it's got these razor sharp teeth. They're scary. And when you're in the ocean, you're floating helplessly and the shark is cruising silently beneath the waves. That's pretty damn scary that you don't know what angle it's coming from. It moves fast. It attacks fast and pulls you under and it's game over. That's why we fear the unknown and why we use stories to help us shield us from the unknown. I saw Jaws once and yet every time I go into the water now, I get that little bit of fear that he's out there. And for us as leaders, we need to use this psychological mechanism to our advantage as well. If you were to Google climate change, you can get 1.1 billion search results. And yet we've known about climate change for 120 years. We've known about the impact of fossil fuels and global warming for over 100 years. And yet we've done nothing about it, not because of lack of data. It's there, the billion search results. It's a lack of a strong story. So when it took Greta Thunberg, a teenager, to stand before the United Nations and talk about how the older generation had betrayed the younger one, only then did the data become a story which created change. Data, story, change. The problem that we have today is that we believe that people absorb data on its merit. We believe that people will change as a result of presenting the data. It's just not true. And that's why we need leaders to take the data, the content, and give it a frame, the context which we already understand. That's the power of storytelling and leadership. And if you want to see evidence that that works. Just look at the opposite. London Fog, Jaws, Fortune Cookies, Hagen Dazs, Viking Halls, Viking Horns, sorry, the Great Wall of China, five human senses, sharks being deadlier than cows, climate change. Leaders turn data into stories and stories into action. Mm-hmm.